Hey, welcome to the Default Alive podcast. I'm Corey. And I'm Chris. And this is our audio documentary of our journeys building profitable internet businesses. And so if this is your first time listening, you can learn more about us and get up to speed by starting at episode number one. But if you're a regular, welcome back. All right, Louie, how you doing, man? Hey, Corey. Not too bad, thanks. How about yourself? Doing well. I, I just had two pieces of cake for breakfast, lunch-ish. So uh, if that tells you anything about the way I'm feeling, <laughs> it, it should. The, but the way I'm doing is fine. I'm, I'm totally capable. I'm, I'm back to health from COVID, and uh, so doing well. Yeah, could you, could you taste the cake? I heard... I had things that uh, taken a turn for the worse there. Yeah, I, I, the taste and smell is actually coming back quite a bit. Um, I think it was maybe Saturday. Um, my wife and I went over, uh, uh, or no, it was Sunday. We went over to, no, it was yesterday. See, my the way I keep track of time now is just like, <laughs> still got the, uh, the COVID hangover. But yesterday I went over to my wife's family's house and uh, we were sitting there like on the, on the stove and uh, my wife's mom was making, uh, it's called birria, and it's like a Mexican kind of beef stew. And we were like, oh my gosh, it smells delicious. And we are like, wait a second, that smells delicious. We can smell it. So it's coming back slowly but surely. Nice, means you uh, have to start showering again. Right, <laughs> exactly, yeah. But uh, thanks for coming on, man. So uh, for the listeners, um, of course, Louis is replacing Chris today. So Chris is... Uh, I think pretty much out on paternity leave. So he messaged me yesterday and was like, hey man, looks like uh, you're gonna have to find someone for to fill in for tomorrow. We had sort of known that eventually uh, with, the, with the baby due that he was gonna be taking a break for a while. And so I think that break is upon us and I'm super uh, thankful and glad to have Louie filling in for today's episode. So thanks for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here, glad to be here. Amazing. No. I would give, um, I, I, I hate asking this question, but just for the listeners, kind of like catch up to you a little bit. Can you give like the 30 second in, intro for all things important on who is Louis Nichols? Oh, that's a good one. I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> I, I, got, I got used to doing those. You know, you do like podcast runs right. where you do like five or six podcasts after another and you, you'd repeat it each time. This has been a, mm -hmm. yeah, who, who should I be today? Um, <laughs> I, I guess it's more most... confusing over time too, right? Because <laughs> more and more things get added on and things change and you're like, wait, what am I doing these days? Exactly. I think some people, maybe if you've heard of me at all, would either be because of Sales for Founders. It's a, a course I run teaching early stage founders, mainly technical bootstrappers, how to do very, very early stage sales. Or maybe from Sparkloop, which is a... I would say it's technically a bootstrapped, uh, maybe self-funded uh, SaaS company, which, um, yeah, it's a, a referral tool for newsletters, basically. I think it's the easiest way to, to describe yeah, it. Yeah, I think that, that well summarizes it. You guys are, I hadn't really thought about it, but um, of course, there's like a, I feel like a monthly recurring sort of like debate around like, what is bootstrapped? What is, you know funded mean and like all these sort of semantics and whatnot but you guys are in some really murky waters because you sort of you have this like partnership with convertkit where they made some sort of investment into the business 
but it's it's not a tra- it's not traditional even like the you know uh funding for bootstrappers kind of funding like tiny seed and earnest and whatnot yeah they they made a strategic investment in us so it was quite small we have all of that money and a bit more still in the bank so we haven't really used it for anything yeah. yet but it was more just to, i think to show seriousness and so that we could kind of have some goodwill to, to work together because i mean they're just like a perfect partner game, for us so right? yeah exactly yeah so, i like that a lot yeah there are um, some people on twitter who would say we're definitely not bootstrapped um <laughs> i yeah we don't we don't need to get into this but i don't even know what bootstrapped is because we're not bootstrapped we're self-funded i had other stuff manuel has referral hero and other stuff as well we take right. a salary it's theoretically enough to live on we we definitely don't live on that either of us uh, i mean manuel just bought a house i'm pretty sure he didn't do that on our our ramen salary so yeah <laughs> right yeah and there's sort of a tricky like uh it's not really like uh, a definition for who or what you are it's more like a state of being right so you could be self-funded for one period and then you could be funded and then you could go the venture out if you you know raise a series a or whatever it is like it's more like what are you right now not really what are you in general yeah totally and i think for me also people focus so much on how much money you raised and where you got the money from mm, right. and nowhere near enough on when you got the money mm, because exactly if, yeah. yeah if if someone comes along and gives you let's say half a million dollars before you have anything. Well, that's a completely different situation to making it to 10K and MRR by yourself and then taking some money to scale or just for for security, I think. Right, yeah. And then talk about the outcomes too. Like, for example, if you're taking money pre-revenue, 500K or, you know, pre-seed or like a seed round or whatever sort of semantics you want to use, then, you know, the valuation that you're raising at is going to be uh, 10 million, a hundred million, like 50 million, like it's, it's going to be a large outcome. And so therefore you need to keep raising money and that valuation hopefully grows over time, but kind of doesn't cause then you have bigger expectations and, uh, anyway, but like, you know, for bootstrapped quote unquote, if you were to take funding when also matters because that matters in your valuation, the outcome you eventually, uh, would need to, um, we need to get to. Yeah, I was I was talking to, or talking. I was chatting on Twitter with Derek, who you're working with on Savical, about oh, yeah. his sources of funding, and that's mm. even more complicated. They have mm-hmm. what's that tiny seed, which is technically an investor, um, yep. self-funded a certain amount, then customers, so bootstrapped, but then also I think he does or he did some consulting with yep. Tuple and with others, so he used some of that money as well. So. I don't know what you'd call savvy cal, but they're even more complicated than us. Right. I know. It's funny because, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm consulting for savvy cal and obviously the money is coming from somewhere because I'm getting part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I hope it's coming from somewhere and it's not just on credit, but, um, <laughs> uh, but you know, I always have to think like, I'm sort of like, you know, I put a lot of pressure on myself to perform and to help Derek reach the milestones that he wants. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't really know like what, uh, <clears throat> it's a little bit different like than coming into an established business where maybe you would know all the numbers and you wouldn't have to worry, really worry about it. But like there is sort of like a looming a little bit in the background of like, oh yeah, like, you know, if things don't go well, how long would we 
have to pay me and or you know what is that point and there's all sorts of interesting questions when you're very early stage thankfully things are going well that's not a question at all don't even need to ask Derek uh, but there's always sort of that thing when you're so early stage yeah no it's I totally it, it must be really interesting as well it's what I always find at that stage in marketing is when I, I imagine at bare metrics you had a pretty good idea of how much you would make from a customer and you yeah. had a time frame in mind that you were trying to acquire customers over. So you were happy to invest maybe a year down the line, but probably not 15 years down the line for new customers. Right. You weren't thinking of like branding in that sense of let's, mm-hmm. let's create the next generation of entrepreneurs who are going to, um, you know, who are going to pay bare metrics in the same way that Stripe does with indie hackers and, and things like that. Yeah. So exactly. Savvy Calmist, you have to be making some bets, I imagine, for further in the future. You're not saying, okay, all of our marketing is about who we can acquire next week or next month, mm-hmm. but it must still be pretty, uh, there must be some pressure there, I imagine, because you don't know exactly if those bets are going to pay off. Totally. Yeah. It's actually, it's, it's one of the, the pending articles, uh, for the Swipe Files newsletter that I have sort of assembling, marinating in the background is that balance between short-term and long-term marketing. Um, because when we first started talking, you know, it was very much like, well, I mean, we can't just make all long-term bets right now because then like, who knows if it's going to work out and like the economics for me might not make sense. So I do need to make mostly short-term bets, um, but we do need to make some long-term bets and not just all short-term because then we're on this hamster wheel of like constantly coming up with the next, you know, campaign. And there's only so many times you can post on product hunt, which is like, you know, once or twice a year, basically. So like, what, what are the things that you're going to invest in over time? And uh, thankfully, a lot, a lot of the short-term stuff has been working out. And so now we're thinking a little bit more long-term about content and SEO and um, sort of viral loops with customers. Because, you know, there's there's an element of um, what people would describe as like product-led growth, you know, where there's a, an exposure loop of people see it, they might sign up. There's a overlay feature, which really gets people into the product. And so um, uh, thankfully, like a lot of the long-term stuff I think is, a little bit taken care of just with the nature of the product. Um, but we definitely do still have to make some, some longer term bets that will, you know, it, it'll be unclear if it's going to pay off, uh, for a while. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, it's a, I can't pass up the segue there into the, the product hunt stuff. So yeah. I know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously Savvy Cal was, was that on, when was that? Was that Monday? Thursday. Yeah. Swipe files on Monday. That's kind of a trial run. Oh, it's Monday yeah. today. Sorry, I'm, I'm all yeah. over the place. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah, how did it yeah. go? It went great. I mean, we were number one of the day for like 90% of the day or like, the, you know, the hours in the day. And then the last second, uh, Unstack kind of made like a swoop, um, swooped in, made a last minute rally, and it's barely managed to beat us out for number one of the day. But the good news is that after that, um, Project Hunt featured... Swipe or gosh, all these all these names. Product Hunt featured SavvyCal in their daily newsletter, and then that pushed a whole new huge flood, like twice as many visitors, registrations, uh, signups, interest, and basically doubled the upvotes overnight as well. And that also secured the number one of the week, and uh, and that's kind of had like a halo effect. And to be honest, I mean it's worked far and away better than either of us would have imagined. Um, it's a bit surprising 
And I don't think it's because of any like magic voodoo marketing thing that I did. I don't think it's either. It's, it's also like not an insanely groundbreaking product, but it was sort of just like a mixture of all these things. And it seems to have worked really, really well. Nice. Do you think people will stick around as, as customers afterwards? Yeah. Yeah. They, they already are. I mean, it's been, I won't, I can't share like specific numbers. Uh, I'll, I'll leave that to Derek on his podcast, Art of Products. Shout out to, De- to Derek. Um, but yeah, we're already seeing, we actually, this is one of the things we talked about really early on. Again, talking about long-term versus short-term. A long-term bet we could make is is freemium, absolutely, because you get people in the door, there's that viral effect, and you can sort of rely on that to some degree. Um, a short-term bet that we wanted to make, though, was we need revenue. And if we give too much away for free early on, or we sort of make a splash early on with freemium, um, and the economics or or kinks aren't quite worked out with the activation, and we're not actually turning free users into customers, and you know, we have to let that drag on, then maybe that would be detrimental. So the short-term thing that we sort of bet on was introducing a trial instead. Uh, and so there's a seven-day trial. You can choose monthly or actually I think annual is still manual. Um, but it's a credit card upfront, and it converts into uh, a paying customer after the trial. It's not a, you know, you don't come up to a blocker and to activate it just automatically upgrades. And um, so we started to see some of the effects from the username reservation campaign that we did the week before ahead of Product Hunt. And now even since Product Hunt, we were actually just chatting right before this because we need to run some numbers and we're starting to see some interesting trends around when someone signs up versus when they start a trial, uh, the conversion rate from trial to paid, and then like what are all the triggers in between there of like the things that they need to do in order for that kind of happy flow to happen. So it's not not super crystal clear, but we're seeing the positive indicators of like, oh, like people are starting a trial pretty soon after registering and like a good healthy amount are converting into a customer. So they're, they're good signs. Nice, nice. Are most people coming from not using another tool or are they switching from things like Calendly? It's, it seems, yeah, like, like a lot of them are switching. Uh, and in fact, this week, we may do another campaign, which I won't spoil it yet, uh, but that will be very much around switching to Savvy Cal. And um, yeah, I, I think most people are like, the biggest question we got right off the bat uh, was how do you compare to Calendly? So we built out the Calendly competitor comparison page, then we built out the other competitor comparison pages. And um, it makes sense for most people to switch from something. And that from has mainly been Calendly. Got it. Got it. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, I I can imagine just the activation, like the willingness to pay from those people is going to be so much higher as well. Right. Yeah. Not trying to start them from scratch. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if there's like a foolproof way to really measure how many people came from an existing tool versus, uh, something else we do have like an auto autoresponder welcome email we ask where people came from and why they switched. And a lot of people mention a competitor, which is sort of, you know, the anecdotal data we need to, to say that most people are coming from something else. Um, but I haven't actually looked at how many people maybe didn't come from something else. It, it could be a significant number. I don't know. Got it. Got it. Have you, is, is there any reason that, that you would need that data like to, to export or to import their, their stuff? Not really. No. Um, 
In fact, that's, that's interesting to bring that up because fairly recently it was someone on Twitter who said, uh, Hey, you should, you know, I'm having a lot of like trouble or, you know, kind of anxiety around switching and, uh, resetting up everything in Calendly versus Savvy Cal. Uh, and so that you should create like an auto importer tool or something sort of migrate. Um, which I think is a good idea and it's an interesting idea and I'm not shutting it down. But what we found is that setting up or changing things in Calendly takes like 10 times longer uh, in, in Calendly than it does in SavvyCal. So actually switching to SavvyCal isn't like as big of a deal as people make it out to be. Actually, Manuel was one of those people uh, a few months ago where he was like, hey, how, you know, I signed up. I haven't like actually looked at it because it feels like a lot of work. What are people's thoughts? Those were my exact thoughts when I first signed up. So it's definitely like one of the big objections people have, but we need to figure out a way to tell people that it actually doesn't take that much work or as much work as they think. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I was thinking more just around if you, if you give a plausible reason why they should tell you where they're coming from. Oh, um, I see. It yep. helps with the attribution. Yep. We, we do that at Sparkloop is, you know, for us, basically people can export their data from other tools to move to us. And that's just a CSV file and it doesn't matter to us where they came from in terms of uploading that, but we still ask right. anyway, just because we're interested basically. Smart, very smart. Yeah, it, it's been really interesting stuff where now we're waiting, uh, you know, basically next Monday we'll sort of know the, the full true effects of um, product time, I think with a lot of the trials converting hopefully and also new people starting trials and starting to see kind of the, the after effects of it. Yeah, nice. It was we did it with Sparkloop back in, I think it was early August in 2020, and mm. we were I think third or fourth product of the day. It was it was okay. I mean, we we weren't unhappy with it. We didn't put a lot of time into you know doing it particularly well, yeah. but I, having done it now, I, I'm not sure I'd do it again. We just yeah. ended up with a lot of the completely the wrong customers for us. Like mm. our, our, you know, we made a lot of revenue on that day. We got a lot of new customers and we're dealing with bad fit customers, unnecessary mm. churn, all that stuff for another two or three months, really. Interesting. Yeah. yeah I'm, there's definitely still that question out there, uh, both for myself, for Swipe Files and for Derek, for Savikel, um, on, you know, impending churn uh, and or other sort of negative after effects. Um, it's interesting. We, we were, again, uh, Derek and I were talking about before this, and we were talking about how it seems like like one of the first things that I did for Savical was really try to sit down with the positioning and the copywriting and, uh, you know, re kind of look at and reformat things in a way that would make sense for people and that would, that would click. Um, so for the past, like, month-ish, we've just been kind of passively testing, you know, did, did the conversion rate go up? Is the sentiment, you know, that it's more clear? Are there less questions about competitors or how things work or what the unique differentiators are? Um, and then product tent was kind of like the ultimate test of that a little bit. And so far, it seems like the positioning has worked really well because we haven't had nearly as many questions even as we did before. And even like for, it was interesting because the, the product tent newsletter featured SavvyCal and the headline was RIP Calendly. So we know that we're in the right category or that we're being compared against the right people, right? Um, but also they, they pointed out a couple of the really key differentiators 
and even the power dynamics that we try to communicate uh, for sort of the thesis for Savvy Cal, which is that it should be just as easy for the recipient as it is for the sender. Um, and they picked out all those things. So it was kind of like, oh, like it, I mean, it must have made sense if they were able to make sense of it. Uh, so I do, I, I think that the positioning is a huge part of that. And I wonder if maybe that was part of it for you in August as well, if maybe things weren't as like tightly tailored or maybe worked out or the bad, bad fit customers could be entirely that they're just kind of looky lose too. And it's unavoidable no matter how tight your positioning is, but remind me of that. Yeah, no, I, I think we, we definitely, we, we could definitely have been tighter on the positioning in terms of focusing on slightly larger customers. I think mm. what happens with product hunt, like SavvyCal isn't really an aspirational product in that sense. Right. Sparkloop is one of those products that you turn to if your newsletter isn't growing and you like, you're, you're, you know, you need to throw a Hail Mary, right? <laughs> Basically. And mm. we, we try and tell those people not to sign up, but a lot of those people are on product hunt and a lot of them saw it and thought yeah. they'd give it a try. And you've just got to be really careful. That's what we were telling ourselves is like in the month or two afterwards, like just don't read anything into all of this churn we're suddenly experiencing from really small yeah. people who signed up and never even used it. Hmm. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. The, the nature of their product is well, anyone and everyone could have a newsletter, but like who is the best fit, you know, not everyone and anyone needs a scheduling link, uh, or, we'll use it in a way that potentially could kind of get abused. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could see that definitely with looky lose people just kind of maybe, like I said, aspirational kind of hoping that it does more than it, than it actually could. And, you know, it's dependent on the newsletter itself to some degree. So, yeah. Totally. Yeah. What else has been, been happening this week then? Yeah. So, I mean, I've also been dealing with the, the aftermath for the Swipe Files project on launch, which, wasn't nearly as, um, well, I still got number two of the day, which is great, uh, but there wasn't nearly as many registrations or signups or subscribers, which I think it like was expected. It was mostly because um, it's not like a product, a software product like SavvyCal. Um, and it's mostly just to kind of like cap off like this new kind of vision that I'm going towards and just try to, you know, announce it and whatnot. It still had a really great amount of, um, visitors and even people starting trials. So I've gotten about 20 ish new members, which is, I would count as a win. Um, and a lot of people knew about it. And I'm also seeing some like trickle effects too, with people just recommending swipe files like in Twitter threads and, uh, people like I have the same sort of thing set up in my own welcome email where I ask people how they found out and why they subscribed. And so people saying, Hey, I saw you on product hunt or my friend recommended you after they saw you on product hunt. So, um, calling it a, a success, but trying to follow up with those people, welcome them, onboard them into the community, which is tougher than you would think just because, you know, you really have to get people in the door quickly and welcomed. Otherwise, they're just going to like forget about it and not come back to it for weeks and weeks or months or, or even ever possibly. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise, last week was fairly quiet. Um, Prodigant was definitely like the main dominating kind of theme uh, I recorded a podcast with a friend, uh, Azar Shad, who's another Swyfiles member. Uh, we also had our first sort of meetup for Swyfiles, which was a lot of fun. And like eight people joined, kind of shoot the breeze and brainstorm for each other. Um, but otherwise, yeah, Product Hunt was definitely the biggest thing for the week. Two biggest things for the week, I should say. 
Nice. How, how did you run the, the virtual meetup? It was a virtual meetup, I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah, it was just through Zoom. Um, I used, uh, I think it's pronounced Luma. It was like Zoom URL, and then they, probably for legal reasons, rebranded. Um, but it, yeah, just like a month ago, we sort of scheduled it. It was actually, it was an idea of one of the Swipe House members, uh, Jacob. And he was like, hey, what if we did this thing? We're kind of do like a round robin, five minutes each. We kind of talk through like a problem, and then we all try to pitch in to a solution. And um, so I just created the event, scheduled it, went through Christmas, New Year, made a reminder, and then the eight of us hopped on Zoom. Nice, nice. Yeah, Is that something you, you think you're going to do more of those? I think so, yeah. I, I Probably not any more often than once a month or every every two months. Um, but definitely I think it, you know, it, the first thing everyone said was like, oh my gosh, I can like see your face in real life. And like now I feel like, you know, I knew you before, but now I really know you. And so I think it's a great, like, you know, literal kind of community building activity that should be a part of what we do. It's just a matter of how often. Nice. Nice. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. What about you? What was the last week like for you? Wow. I, <laughs> I have to think back. Wow. <laughs> um, it's only Monday. It's crazy. So, I mean, I've been kind of up in the air because I'm currently in Switzerland and I'm leaving for um, for Portugal at the end of this week. So, oh, great! Getting, Is that where you yeah. landed on? I knew you were looking at a few different places, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's. I don't want to be too far away in case I can't get back for some important reason. Who knows? Who knows what? Um, everywhere in Europe is pretty pretty bad right now, COVID-wise. Mm. But at least in Portugal, I can be kind of near the beach and the weather's okay and can get out for a yeah. jog and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, otherwise, like, so over Christmas, I opened up enrollment for sales for founders again. Mm. And we're actually doing like, I'm, I'm running it in a slightly different way again this time. So I've always done these kind of like boot camp cohorts with like at most eight to 10 people where mm. it's one-on-one -on -one training basically over like two or three months in sales. And those work well, but they're really expensive for people to take part in. And they're really time intensive for me. That's right. like eight hours a week, which was completely fine while Spark Loop was like a, a one day a week kind of thing. But yeah. now that it's more than a full-time job, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't have time for that and I can't really justify it anymore. So I didn't want to go back to completely self-serve because I tried that and Maybe it's just me, but I just couldn't make it work the way that I wanted to. Mm. Uh, there was no complaints, like people weren't asking for refunds or anything, but I just didn't feel like, you know, when you have like the community and people have been through the content and then they ask questions and you're like, oh no, you didn't get that thing that I was trying to get you to get. Like this was a waste uh, right. of time for you, yeah. right? Like mm. you shouldn't be here a month later asking this question that that shouldn't have happened. Mm. So. I'm trying a hybrid mix now where basically a group of people are going to start on January the 18th. So next Monday, and it's going to be live lessons once a week with like tasks to do during the week. And then on the Friday, we're going to catch up again for like a question and answer kind of office hours session on zoom as well. So yeah, I'm excited to see how that works. Yeah. Interesting. I, yeah, I'd been putting it off, like putting off the launch because I wasn't sure I'd have time, have time to do it. So I like blocked off two weeks at the end of the year and said, look, over Christmas, I can't go anywhere. It's COVID. Let's just get this up and running. 
And yeah, I, I didn't really know how many people would sign up because I hadn't been like the podcast hadn't been running. I hadn't been sending regular emails. The list had kind of stagnated. And I thought, you know, maybe like 10, 15 people will take part and that'll be pretty cool. Um, I think in the early bird enrollment week that I opened up, I think I had like 77 people oh, wow. sign up. Yeah. <laughs> That's I mean, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's cheaper than it was before, right? So it was only like $150, including the discount each. Mm. But still, like, I'm, I'm very happy with that. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For, uh, That's interesting. Yeah, so, yeah. I've, I've thought about, um, man, online courses are such a, like, enigma a bit. It just feels like there's never, like, quite the perfect way to do them, deliver them, uh, mix of content. I've, I've gone back and forth on a few things. Um, like, now I'm, I'm bundling the courses I've created into swipe files. And I'm sort of like in the middle of trying to figure out like, well, I had this like open close enrollment thing that I felt like was working really well. And I don't want to entirely like kill that off. Um, but I've also been wanting to do something like maybe for these courses or for, I'd like to create more courses in the future, you know, having some sort of hybrid between, well, what if, you know, you can take the self-serve one any time, but then enrollment opens for kind of the live cohorts every three months but then I'm asking myself, do I really want to put myself through that? And is it worth it? And is that what people even want? And that's what is appropriate for the course. Um, should I do live only, like you said, uh, and, and, and just focus on maybe a higher tier kind of customer? Or Yeah, it's difficult. I'm, I'm curious to see how it works for you this next, this next round. Yeah, same, same. I'm, I think it's going to be good. The best one I've ever done had a live group component to it. And people like bonded and there was a sense of like accountability and community there that just hasn't been present really since mm. when it's been one-on-one -on -one or when it's been self-serve. So I think that's going to really help. It's in a sense, it's way easier for me with sales for founders than it probably is for you though. In just that like this new course is the fundamentals of sales. It's super, super niche and like focused down on what we're going to learn. Mm. And I mean, your courses are pretty broad from like from what i've seen there's <laughs> like people are taking them yeah. for a lot of different reasons and focused and mm -hmm. stuck on a lot of different things so totally yeah. yeah the other one of the things I, I battled with choosing whether or not to kind of bundle the courses in now my my sort of vision is to create a couple other more like really broad courses that are probably going to be a lot more self-serve and maybe there's a live component that would maybe be kind of like a choose your own adventure, uh, tailored sort of track. Um, but definitely, you know, I was like, what, it, you know, mental models for marketing, like for anyone and anyone could be marketers, entrepreneurs, people wanting to learn marketing, students, refactoring growth, like B2B SaaS founders and marketers. Um, it's like, it's pretty niche, but like, that's still a big category with people in all sorts of different stages and, hopes and dreams. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I think I'm actually doubling down on like the really kind of broad course, maybe even going broader, but, uh, I think that there's no right or wrong. Like I, I sort of wish, I don't know, maybe there's a way, but you know, like being really niche is like a huge advantage, I think. Yeah, totally. Uh, that's what I've been like struggling with for this year as well is 
what do I do with sales for founders? How do I keep like the mission going while recognizing that it's it's pretty irresponsible of me to to spend time on it to be honest outside of like one day a week maybe on the weekend right and even then i mean hopefully at some point covid is gone and i would like to to spend some time not working this year make it a bit different to 2020 so um one thing i've been yeah one thing i've been thinking about is so with the sales of founders podcast i bring different guests on each week who are like real sales experts like way better at sales than I am. And it always seemed kind of silly to me that I was the one doing the teaching for all of this specific stuff where they know their stuff way better than I do. Mm. And a lot of them have tried to do courses or books or something in the past, and they just have been nowhere near as successful as sales for founders has for some reason. I think probably because they couldn't justify putting in like the marketing time and the like actual talking to people and helping them side of things. So I'm thinking about like going almost the opposite direction to you and going super, super niche and saying, okay, sales for founders is now, it's where you go to learn sales. It's not where you go to learn sales from Louis. Mm. It's where you'll maybe go and take a course on doing outreach via Twitter or LinkedIn or how to close enterprise sales or your first enterprise sale. And they won't be taught by me. Maybe I'll be there like asking questions and you know, kind of behind the scenes to make sure everything's kind of the same format and the same thing you'd expect. But yeah, I'm. That's cool. Dude, that's crazy. You mentioned that because I had a similar, I was just out walking the dog and I had one of those like light bulb kind of moments where I was like, Oh, that's interesting. Or like, I wonder about that. And I had the same dilemma where I was like, I I think I want to, um, like I said, I love creating courses, but I don't also don't want to be, the one doing all the teaching. And I was even thinking back to uh, how you were one of the people who contributed to the uh, to refactoring growth and you had one of the kind of bonus sessions on, um, on B2B SaaS sales as basically a, a marketing channel, quote unquote. Um, and I, I always try to get back to like, what would I would have wanted? And like, besides my own like hopes and dreams and aspirations, like what would, what would people actually want? What would be the kind of the best thing for them? And I thought like, kind of the same thing as you like what if there was a way to sort of bundle up other people's expertise like maybe they don't have the time or energy or even the desire to create their own course but they might be willing to do like a 60 to 90 minute master class which can then combine with other experts in the field to create the SaaS marketing master class the uh the newsletter marketing master class you know you can contribute to it or the you know fill in the blank for everyone um, online course or ebook or, uh, you know, mobile app marketing master, like you could kind of just delegate in the, and then of course financially incentivize everyone as an affiliate for 25 to 50% of every sale or just pay them for their time or whatever it is. But, um, I've had a similar idea of like, Oh, what is wife house? Just the place you go to learn marketing. And then it's not just about me. It's about everyone that I'm bringing together. Yeah, I, I think that's a great idea. I think it's, I think people like, they like learning from experts. And I think marketing is similar to sales in that a lot of people coming to me for sales help, like for sales with founders, they will have like one burning specific problem they have right then, but they'll have to sit through the whole course to get an answer mm-hmm. to that one thing. And yes, the rest of it is definitely going to help them. And often they have the problem because they've actually made a mistake somewhere else and yada, yada. 
but still it, it seems inefficient to me to make them sit through like a whole sales course just because their their emails suck or something like that so right. <laughs> yeah. yeah i think Give being able like... to take master classes would be be pretty cool mm. yeah th that's why i kind of like the choose your own adventure style kind of stuff for for online courses and and then maybe like i said maybe there's a live component sometime like you know once a year by by annually uh where it's more tailored or maybe there's you know i don't know there's something to that but maybe it's me sort of facilitating more conversations or q a's with people i don't know but uh yeah it's fascinating that you're you're in a similar train of thought yeah it's just like the whole online learning or like online education space there aren't really any rules and it's just so difficult yeah. to work out what would work best. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's, it's true. People do it so differently. I was even, I was, I was kind of giggling a little bit at, um, Diego Forte, who I love and admire a ton, but he was, he just made the statement on Twitter, like, um, self-serve courses are dead. Like live cohort based courses are the future. And I was kind of just like, that's always been a thing. And also like, it's never going to be the thing. There's always just going to be this mix of whatever people want, whatever seems to work well, or there's going to be trends based on kind of what's hot. And right now this whole live cohort space thing is kind of having a moment, but it doesn't mean that it's as, you know, so binary, you know what I mean? It's, oh, self-serve courses are dead. And, but it doesn't mean that live courses aren't bad either. It's just what's the mix and what's right for you and for what your customers want. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think it's the same as traditional education, right? Like the professors you have in college, most of them didn't write the textbooks that you're learning from. Well, mm -hmm. a lot of them didn't at least. And That's true. you use the best course material available because it is the best, but it's also good to have someone who's experienced and who's there to help to kind of guide you through it and put in, you know, the accountability and the motivation and like to learn with them is, is really valuable as well. So. Yeah. Maybe that's where the mix ends up, right? Like maybe in, maybe at the end it's the value is almost partly in the curation of good content and like recommendation of, of what content to read and to find and mm -hmm. when, when to consume it. And also like the, the motivational aspect and being able to, to answer questions and stuff like that. Yeah. That's interesting. I've thought a lot about, uh, like traditional education kind of like what's the, not the answer, but like, you know, trying to do some like first principles thinking and that was one of those things that really struck me was like again it's people are always like oh traditional education is dead and like like no there's always going to be a classroom and there's always going to be like teachers like a set of of content that they probably didn't write um but what is what is a traditional classroom good for well it's great for community it's great for accountability because you have to show up um, it's great for answering questions and having more kind of tailored thought. It's great for brainstorming. Um, it's great for doing kind of like case studies and assignments in class together. It's not so great at presenting course material. <laughs> yeah. you, you could find that anywhere. Like you could go to Coursera, you could go to, you know, any kind of MOOC. There's also, you could go to Udemy, right? Um, I feel like it's the same thing for these live cohort, like, you're never going to be able to replicate the community in like a self-serve course. You're never going to be able to do kind of the whole Q and a tailored approach. Who's your own adventure. Um, but it's just, what is each one good for? 
yeah, and it's, you know, it's, it's just fun as well, right? Like it's fun to meet other people who are struggling with the same things and interested in the same things that you are. Yeah. It's, it's just worth it for that. I think that's, that's one of the things I'm most excited for, for doing the group cohort again, is having people like making them introduce themselves, even though it's kind of wasting their time in a sense, if they introduce themselves and say who they are, then they are going to chat way more in our community than mm, if I'm just yeah. there pitching the whole time. So yeah, getting them sort of activated, right. To use a, a marketing jargon slang term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Well, anything else new? from the last week or top of mind for you? Top of mind. I mean, like the big thing I've been thinking about, I think, so there've been two things on my mind uh, that are sparkly related. So one of them is just goal setting for the year. We, we don't really oh, do, right. yeah, we don't really do goal setting for like a year, right? Like yeah. it's always been way too far out to even think like six months ahead. Um, so we do, we do six week cycles, like of like real planning, right? Where we say, this is one of what we want to achieve in the next six weeks. This is why blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. But we did say that this time, you know, we're going to sit down and at least talk like directionally about where, where Sparkloop should go over the next year. So over 2021, mm -hmm. and we haven't talked about this yet. So me and Manuel haven't really like synced on it completely. So he may think completely differently about this, but <laughs> It was interesting, you know, to look at it and we don't share our revenue publicly, but we're like six figure ARR. So we're closer to zero than to, um, say closer to zero than to a hundred thousand dollars a month, definitely closer, but not that close to zero. Let's put it that way. Right. <laughs> and okay. we were trying to think, yeah, we were trying to think, you know, where can we get to by the end of the year? And I feel pretty confident predicting that we can get to a million in ARR by the end of 2021. So I think that's what I want to push for. And that it feels like a really big number. <laughs> Again, it is a really, like, it's a really, it is a really yeah. big number, but also if you break it down into the number of customers we would need and what that looks like month over month and where they maybe would come from and, and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's way less scary if you think about it like that. It's like, okay, we, we right. need to acquire like one of these customers every day and maybe two of these ones or five of these a week and 10 of these or something like that. Mm -hmm. And doing it that way has, has definitely helped me uh, not panic. So, <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, that when you were mentioning sort of like the range and uh, given what I know so far, that million dollar error was the number that popped in my head as maybe like a good number just to sort of aim for i'm I'm similar to you and you know everyone has their own kind of flavor but i don't like setting like so program specific like you know to the t kind of goals um but i do like kind of like the big the big milestones and like setting those yeah. like for swipe files my my goal was uh is a thousand true fans so just a thousand members for swipe files and that's the North Star, that's the thing I aim for. It's probably not realistic for 2021. It's possible, and it's not terribly impossible, but it's just this nice big round number that I can just point to and say, that's where I wanna to get to. And it's fine if I get there in February of 2022. Um, uh, it'd also be fine if I got there in May of this year, but it's this big number that I can kind of gather around. Yeah, I mean, I'm the same word. I, I, I like it as a directional goal, so, I mean, if we're miles off that, but 
we've done everything we can to get there, then, you know, I won't feel too bad about that, right? Like it's, it's not like we need to make that happen. But when we're making decisions, especially like marketing decisions over the next couple of weeks and months, we have to be making those with something in mind, like some, like, where are we pointing at, right? Like, where are we trying to get to? And it would be very easy to say, let's optimize for completely organic growth and, you know, making a a really good salary as as soon as we can. Um, that that's totally fine as well, but you, you can't make decisions that would lead to to that outcome. If you're trying to achieve a, like a much bigger outcome, right? Same if we wanted to get to like 10 million in ARR, then we would probably have to be out there like beating down, um, like investors doors right now. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's fascinating. I always think like, you know, for whatever, um, convention or habit or, you know, just like a a normal kind of practice in business, like where did this really come from? And I feel like goal setting is one of those things where public companies and big corporations have kind of just like, we've been influenced so heavily by it that we almost forget, you know, why we do it in the first place and, and maybe what's right for us. Cause for, I mean, for a public company, like goal setting and planning is literally everything because it's, you know, what's your, your earnings target? And like, did you hit it? Did you not hit it? How did that affect your stock price and whatever for corporations? It's even if they're, you know, I say corporations, but like, you know, big businesses, it's more tied to like the CEO's, uh, salary and earnings and, um, going back to the board and like, it's all about kind of these external factors, but for people like us, maybe who are, you know, have a mildly successful, software business or a content based business, like what should we take from that? And it's probably not the, to the T, you know, buttoned up really goal setting process. It's more like you said, what's realistic and what's something that we can, we can rally around. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's all about the time scales as well, right? Like a, a really big public business has been around for at least five years, probably 10 years or more normally. Yeah. So the way that Manuel and I set our six week goals, that's pretty much their annual goals. Like if you look at right. the time scale, right? <laughs> Our so annual goal is like where they sit around and dream they're going to be in like 10 years. Like mm-hmm. it's directional, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's very true. Yeah, that, that time horizon really gets stretched out. The bigger you are, you have to start thinking more long-term and making bigger bets and things just take longer in general. But on your early stage, you're working with shorter time windows and you're just trying to get through the next month and the next quarter and to the end of the year. Yeah. And I think that kind of led to like my, the thing I'm struggling with most at the moment, which I, I definitely want to get some feedback on from you as well, mm. which is Hit why I'm, I'm shoehorning it in here when we're short on Absolutely. time is, um, so again, short term trade-off would be, I understand our customers really, really well. I am an acceptable writer. Uh, I should be writing the content like to maximize like short-term gains and keep Mm. costs low and stuff like that. But if we are trying to grow, you know, faster and become a a real serious company, then it's probably a good idea to get someone on board sooner or later who has the time to create a lot of great content and Mm. is actually a really good content creator rather than 
a pretty decent conversion copywriter like me trying to branch out into long-form content, which is mm. like, there's, there's a reason that all of my blog posts are one sentence after one, like one line after one line after one line, like yeah. it look, reads yeah. like a, an email sequence. Um, yeah, so one thing I've been struggling with, because we, we've been, um, we've been hiring, uh, like, like working with some, some freelance content creators and they're all, most of them were really good. I think we've settled on one who we want to work with more long-term just because she was the most responsive. She asked like the, the most strategic questions. She seemed to be the most enthusiastic. Mm. And the challenge we have obviously is like, I understand our customers so well, and she just, you know, she doesn't come from the, like the industry as, as deeply as we do. Right. And well, no one did. So it's not like a specific to her problem. It's just in general like freelancers we could work with mm. they don't quite understand our customer language they're not like immersed in the product like we are obviously because they would be insane and kind of we'd be very worried if they were <laughs> right <laughs> they've been hanging around in our in our team chat um so i i've never i'm like I've, I've been a consultant to people where i've had to kind of get like a superficial knowledge of their product or talk to their customers to be able to help them with like specific like marketing conversion copywriting stuff but I've never been in the situation that you're in, which is, you know, with, with Derek now with SavvyCal. And I bet even when you took the, the job at Bear Metrics at the beginning, kind of coming into an established team that had already been doing marketing stuff and having to take over basically like ownership of, of all of that stuff. Right. How would you, how would you approach bringing someone on and not necessarily like, you know, not being too prescriptive, but mm. also making it so that they kind of, you know, they understand the audience. They understand the, um, you know, like the, the the human side of things. I guess quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Hiring for content is always really tricky. Uh, it's probably the hardest like marketing hire, just because, like you said, there's so many different dynamics between industry expertise and the actual like production side of things with writing versus the marketing side of things with SEO and content promotion and distribution and um, trying to actually get eyeballs on it, right? And people to read it. Email marketing, all sorts, sorts of different parts of that. Um, so you've been working with freelancers. You're thinking about hiring someone full-time. Do I have that right? Not quite full-time. So we'll start off with part-time. Part -time. Um, yeah. So they, they have some other like consulting uh, clients that they, they work with. And yeah. yeah, what I want to do is like work out how do I jam as much of like the knowledge about our customers and the product that, that she needs to be able to do the job with like close to zero help from me. Mm. Uh, how do I jam as much of that into her head in a, in a nice way as, as quickly as possible, I guess. Mm. I mean, above and beyond like knowledge base, um, customer research kind of artifacts that you've collected over time, a product demo, um, maybe like a, curated list of resources or other things that people have created within the space that might help educate. Um, I feel like the only, the only other thing, yeah, it's hard because like you can't force someone to become an expert. Um, like you kind of could just by all the things that you jam down their throat and, you know, force them to feed from the fire hose. Um, but the other thing, I don't know, it's, the, the end result you want is basically for someone to have enough knowledge to be able to 
be creative and produce better content or as good of content as you would um, within their their role, essentially, right? Um, oh, so it could yeah. be, yeah, so it could be that you just educate them and build expertise with sort of holding their hand and saying, read this, read that, look at this, look at that. The, the other thing could be um, just the way that they source and produce content. Maybe that builds that expertise over time, but it's more reliant on industry experts themselves. So having them basically, hey, for the next three months, like all the t content we create isn't maybe gonna be optimized for SEO. Maybe it's not going to be the most uh, like informational, educational, but it's gonna be more case study type or story driven. And uh, we're just gonna focus on you grabbing the, the expertise and stories of people, of newsletter creators. And then it's kind of like a, you know, through osmosis or through just submerging themselves and their stories that they start to piece things together. Um, and that's the content that you create. And then after that, maybe you move on to, okay, now that you have an idea on things, now let's move on to the educational type content or uh, thought leadership, you know, it's kind of the, the holy grail of content, right? Um, yeah. But I, even as a best practice, I feel like trying to source from industry experts is usually the best way to go, unless you're literally hiring an industry expert to write for you. Yeah, I, no, I, I love that. I especially like the idea of doing more case studies and kind of customer stories because that's basically, I mean, they're, they're being educated directly, right? It, it's hard to mess up when you have the customer's words. So yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. How do you, out of interest, how do you do it with, with Derek? Because um, I, I imagine, like, I know it's an earlier stage, so <laughs> he's probably a bit more vague on the details as well still. But mm -hmm. how do you, like, if you write a piece of content, if you create a landing page or something with him, how do you, like, go about making sure that it's, it's, I don't want to say like what he had in mind, but that it fits in mm. with his, his vision, I guess. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle of it right now. So I can't say I have like an answer on how I've done it yet, but how I'm going about it is, um, the content that we're creating right now, uh, I'll just give a little spoiler deal. I probably won't mind if I talk about it, but we're basically creating three pieces that are purposed to be published on someone else's blog. It's basically right. going to be like a mix of partnership marketing, link building, and just like trying to plug into someone else's audience, essentially. And those pieces of content aren't really, um, like they're, they're not the kind of case study story driven, but they're also not the thought leadership type. They're more uh, like educational, kind of step-by-step, um, a little bit more of like the traditional type of content you would see ranking Google for something, for example. And that I'm relying on Derek for, on like, hey, how do you think about things? What's your kind of take on this? Um, I'm doing a little bit of sourcing with other founders. I could plan on doing some, I've reached out some people through Twitter DMs and also just like gathering these snippets of tips and tricks and hacks that are gonna be, you know, for these pieces of content. And then I'm winging it a little bit on the early stage. Um, now the other piece of content that we're working on is more of like a uh, like a thesis for a swipe file or for, sorry for Savical <laughs> on oh, gosh all the names dude I'm so bad at it more of like a thesis and so it's basically going to be like a content pillar and um, and then a couple of like piece of content under it that are all, all kind of supporting you know hub and spoke essentially and for that I'm I'm really going to be relying on 
experts and trying to source for that. And then I'm still going to be doing the writing for it. And that I'm probably even more going to be sourcing from Derek as well of like, Hey, like, what do you, what's your take on, uh, meeting and scheduling etiquette and the different formats there, you know, what, if, what if you're reaching out over Twitter DMS versus email versus, uh, you know, if you get intro to someone over email, like trying to just try to like triangulate on all these parts, ideally though, um, I would probably hand that over to a freelancer and say, go talk to a bunch of experts in like meeting scheduling and, you know, get the sources from a salesperson, from a VC, from an entrepreneur, from a podcaster and like round out sort of your perspective or, um, see, I don't know if there's really an industry expert for that field, but someone who has some thoughts and just either interview them or get pay them to write it themselves. Um, but I'm kind of winging it myself right now is, is the answer for you. <laughs> nice. I wouldn't have expected anything else. <laughs> yeah. The, the other route is, I mean, is an agency, which is going to be way more expensive, um, possibly, but they'll basically do the, the, the full end to end. Right. Um, I think the, the advantage with you working with a freelancer or even someone part-time is that you can focus them on like the production side of things and do the time intensive things like, you know, emailing industry experts and hopping on a zoom call with a customer, et cetera. And you can get out that off your plate. And then once they have something for you, then you publish it possibly under your name and you do the distribution side of things to place it in the communities and post on social media, uh, because you are the most plugged into that community that would get the most eyeballs in front of, um, newsletter creators, right? Whereas they probably couldn't. An agency could take care of that for you, possibly a full-time content marketer could, but that even then I have some opinions about that. It's, they're sort of different jobs. Um, but it sounds like the bottleneck is more on the production side. So I would probably still keep the promotion for you and then really try to outsource the production probably through a freelancer or part-time, like you're saying. Yeah, totally. I think for us, it's just like, it's always great to work with a, like a, a group of freelancers, maybe even an agency here or there, yeah. but there is like a certain level of knowledge and expertise and process that we really want in-house because like the con like, some of the content's really important to, to us, right? So yeah. if that's somewhere else, that's like the equivalent of having an agency that has like the, the password to our WordPress site or whatever, right? Like right, right. we, there's a, like, that's, yes, that's it's easier part. to hand off the process to them and let them build the content brief and all that kind of stuff. But if we ever want to bring that in-house or if things don't work out so well, all of a sudden, then it's we gone. don't have any of the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, a lot of my content opinions have been formed, um, sort of vicariously through Benji Hyam of, uh, grow and convert one of my friends here in San Diego, actually. And, um, I was talking to him pretty recently about it. And now like from what I know, a part of a big part of their process is they don't actually go out and source from like outside industry experts. They do basically all the sourcing from within the organization. And uh, so maybe the answer, is, you know, for an agency part-time or full-time is just that they rely on you and Manuel. And like, they do a really good job of like asking the right questions and poking and pestering you, or just like trying to get your brain turning to extract all the stuff that's in there, all the expertise in there, and then to make sense of it and produce something out of it. 
Um, but maybe you're the source and maybe that's, you know, that way, you know, you, you'll never leave, right? Or like, <laughs> that's never going to leave you. It's, it's really, um, anyone could come in, whether it's part-time, full-time agency, uh, to extract from you. It's that, that'll never be gone. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yeah, for sure. But it, it does take more time on your end, right? You're not fully removed from the process. Now you're actually a little bit of a bottleneck, but you're a, uh, a integral piece of the puzzle there. Yeah, I'm more of a, what's the little thing you put at the top of a bottleneck if you have like um, olive oil in a restaurant or something, the little, right. the little metal the thing, what's it called? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, yeah. You decide how much goes in and out. Yeah, exactly. that's a tough one, but um, sounds like, so the content is more like, that's the long-term kind of play that you guys are wanting to invest into. Yeah, for sure. I mean, there just, there just isn't very much good content out there in the newsletter space. Totally. Especially for larger newsletter creators. There's a lot for info product creators. There's not so much for mm -hmm. newsletter creators, funnily enough. Um, yeah. I mean, there are some super intelligent people out there who write really good stuff, but it tends to be more like short form. Um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a lot of space there. And again, you have to position yourself, right? You have to like differentiate, differentiate yourself from other tools. And we are the only tool that is just for newsletters that mm -hmm. kind of has a focus on them. So we don't really want to, you know, compete for how do you set up a referral program because right. we're competing against like Manuel's other company that's been doing that for five years and, mm -hmm. you know, <laughs> we're not going to win that one. Whereas yeah. how does so-and-so like run giveaways for that newsletter? We can totally be the, the best at that. I mean, mm -hmm. I think we probably already are in terms of like content ranking, but we can, we can stay the best at that for, for quite some time. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. I really like the, the niche play for content too, because then you can also really tailor the content for the niche. And like you're saying, if you're, if you're talking about something like really broad, like, um, maybe it's something as you know, simple as like, uh, like writing or maybe it's like email marketing or email automations, you know, it's like, instead of just email automations, like for who, for what, like, what is it? It's email automations for newsletters. And now it's like so incredibly clear, like there's no question about who this is for, what it's going to be about, what the expectations are. And you can kind of just like, you know, it's X for newsletters and just like, there's a thousand ideas there for content that you could start, you could start pulling from. Totally. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's interesting for me, you know, I've done marketing and sales for, for a couple of different companies now, and I've never had to get involved with, with like content marketing itself. Hmm. I've done a lot of content that's been like conversion focused, right? So as part yeah. of a funnel or to use in sales pitches, like that's how I think of it inherently. It's like, uh, can I use this in a, in, in a sales conversation? Can I send this to a lead or something like that? You know, can I insert this into a welcome sequence or whatever? I'm never thinking, would someone Google for this and would they read mm. it? Would they carry on reading it? Um, will they convert at the end? Yes. I'm thinking about that, but like the, 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 um, like the very, very top of funnel. It's just, yeah. It's like, I'm the guy wandering around with a hammer and this is, <laughs> I don't know, a screw or yeah. Yeah. Like it's a Velcro very or something like that. Yeah. Different mindset. But I, I mean, I think again, if you're thinking long-term, um, and what's going to pay off later, I like my advice usually, and I'm sure that you've probably heard this, but the, I always love starting at the bottom. And so starting with the content, like case studies, competitor comparison pages, things really related to, you know, the product where 
maybe there's, there's probably like a, you know, pillar piece of content, an article, whatever around each major feature in spark loop around, you know, giveaways or, uh, rewards or, you know, you could kind of like build these big piece of content around there and then you move up to the, what is a newsletter or, you know, <laughs> newsletter marketing yeah. one-on-one, you know, th things like that, that are like so introductory, but I always like starting at the bottom and then eventually making your way up there. Yeah. That, 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 I think that chimes totally with the, the advice I've heard so far as well. It's yeah, it's a, it's a fun time. I think it's, I'm sure it's something if you, you know, if you carry on working with Derek on Sabical, you'll probably see pretty soon as well. I'm sure maybe you were slightly after that point at bare metrics. Um, I think probably maybe slightly after that, like you joined maybe slightly after that happened, but we're in that really weird phase with Sparkloop where we aren't two messy people running like <laughs> some little indie hackers thing anymore. Yep. Like we can't be seen as that. We, we don't want to be seen as that anymore, but we also don't have like the budget, the resources to compete with like, I mean, don't, I mean to compete, but to seem like we are the size of a convert kit or a MailChimp mm. or yeah. like a serious SaaS business, like, like bare metrics, right? We haven't been around for long enough. And we somehow like, I think my job over the next couple of months is just how do I pull us from being more like a, a, a like, like, like an indie hacker, kind of like <laughs> obviously a two man show to looking like we are a serious company that's been around for ages. And, you know, we have like, titles and all that kind of stuff um yeah at least growing from up, the outside I mean, yeah yeah right, exactly yeah sass adolescent right now yeah software <laughs> that's uh you, it can be your next book that would be yeah, well, pubescent software <laughs> maybe that'll be the title if i'm feeling brave enough no but yeah that's that's, that's very true it's, i think i sort of jumped on board with bare metrics a little bit after that stage you know i was number eight so it was kind of like at the tail end of that um, obviously with Derek, you know, we're the two man show now, uh, but I'm not a co-founder, I'm a consultant. And so even then it's still very, it's even before, um, you know, kind of the indie hacker stage, uh, where it's still things being validated and proven out. And, um, so that, that makes a lot of sense though. Like now you have to make those investments, those moves to, to grow up and to have things be more official, you know, to be a real business, quote unquote. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, yeah. And do you have any, like, did we hit all the points that you were interested in, like that happened from your week? Yeah. I mean, yeah, for me, honestly, I didn't have that much besides product hunt. Uh, it was kind of the, the big major thing for me this next week. I have my, my goal is to really launch the teaser for the new podcast, which oh, that's what uh, I wanted to ask about. Yeah. I, yeah. 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 Which Sparkloop is a, uh, sponsor of and I'm super thankful but man it's taken it's been a few delays you know at first it was the the cover art and then Christmas came around and then I was like sitting down to record and I was like man I don't feel good COVID yeah. <laughs> so COVID for the last you know 10 days ish now I'm like finally back up to speed um, and so I, I, I the bottleneck is just recording all these little segments around introing the guests and then outroing the guests and like takeaways and, and I just need to go through and knock them out. So I have, well, I need 10 to launch, but I have, I think 20 or 21 interviews recorded already, which is just like going to be flying out the door once I have those, those done. Um, and then I'm going to send it to my nephew who's going to edit them, uh, and then I'll be ready to go. So my goal this week is to launch the teaser 
and then to start recording all those segments so that next week I can launch for real. Nice, nice. I remember, it's funny, I think when we, we agreed to sponsor, I think that was back in, I want to say in October, maybe even. I think, so. I think it was October. <laughs> and I remember Manuel saying, hey, can we get stuff ready for Corey? He's starting a new podcast in a couple of weeks uh, with 16 episodes <laughs> ready to go. And I was like, no, no, he's not. <laughs> he may not know it yet, but I promise. I know, <laughs> man. You get eight, you think like you get 80% of the work done and it's like, oh, now, now's the other 80%. Like, let's go and find all the links. Let's make like exactly. custom cover art for each one. Let's like, you know, you can't just put the episode out there. You have to have all like the, the marketing side of it as well. And it's just, yep. I think people don't understand how much work a podcast is until they've, <laughs> they've tried to do it's one. It's true. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so, so now I'm like at the final stretch and I, and I know that like a lot of the things cover art and the editing were like the two kind of big question marks that were delaying everything besides me getting sick as well. Um, but now those things are past and I have all the right things. So, um, if I don't launch it by next week, something is seriously wrong <laughs> because I've, I've got all the right things and, uh, I'm, I'm back on track. Nice. Are you going to launch a couple of episodes at once to, to kick things off or are you going to just do yeah. like a trickle? Th that was the other thing. I, I think I sort of, um, maybe set my ambitions too high, but I really wanted to launch with 10 out the door. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Just to allow people to really kind of get a feel because this has been one of the things I battled with Swy Files is like really getting close to the premise and like delivering on the premise. And so like the core theme of Swy Files in general is that um, like to get outside of your echo chamber, essentially, like hear a variety of industries and skills and backgrounds and that the best ideas come from unexpected kind of sources. So I was like, well, I could launch with like two or three, but that really wouldn't describe sort of the thesis of the show, which is to have this really broad set of guests. And so I decided on 10. Um, but of course, the trouble with 10 is that now you have to go launch with 10, which is three times as many or 10 times as many as mo most people launch with. Um, and I, I think it'll help though, because then once I launch, then there'll be a lot of downloads. There's a potential for me to sort of, you know, be boosted in, uh, in the podcast players, namely Apple podcasts and, uh, to sort of make a big deal out of it to a lot of people to subscribe and feel like they have a good feeling for the show. Um, since there are, will be a decent amount of episodes out. Nice. Are you going to do a podcast tour to promote it as well? Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that's the next thing on there is then, uh, to go do the tour. Now we've got things kind of lined up with swipe files. Then the podcast will be out. I'll have all the right ingredients to start doing my, making my rounds. And thankfully there are quite a few marketing podcasts and yes. uh, entrepreneur podcasts that like talking about marketing. So, um, I expect February and March to kind of be, um, hopefully consumed with a lot of interviews. We'll see. Nice. Well, I, I look forward to it being one of those weeks where I uh, refresh my podcast feed and see Corey, Corey, Corey <laughs> six times. It's always funny to see that it happens in, you know, just like someone, you know, has just been on like a, all the podcasts on a tear. So, yeah. 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 I hope so too. I, I like that kind of, um, surround sound effect where you just feel like they're everywhere and talking about everything and hopefully bring something new to each, to the table for each one. If the host does a good job, which I hope that they would, uh, but yeah, the first order of business, though, to get the podcast out. That's uh, definitely number one goal. Well, yeah, I can't wait to, to give it a listen. 
It's gonna Thanks. Be. Yeah, I think it's going to start really well. I'm really excited for the ad reads as well, too. I think it'll be pretty organic and fun, and there'll be a nice variety in there. So I'm um, stoked to get it out there and into the world. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, it's been a fun. I hope I haven't taken too much time. It's probably really late for you. Uh, but anything else before we wrap? No, I, I, I think that's pretty much everything. Um, I got some good advice. It was nice to be back as a guest somewhere again instead of just prattling on on my own podcasts, which is, yeah. is always fun. And uh, yeah, let's uh, let's hope everything goes uh, safe and smooth next week, and we can. Uh, excited to to hear the, uh, yeah, excited to hear the new episodes. Thanks, man. Yeah, I'll, so I'll have um, uh, the links in the show notes, but if people want to follow you, learn more about what you're doing, uh, where are the best places for them to do that? Yeah, um, I think the best place to find me is probably on Twitter. Um, I do a podcast a bit like this. Um, we chat about similar stuff with a friend of mine who is a, a Facebook ads expert and a, um, an agency owner and a, a, an info product creator called Moitza, and that's over at the Sup podcast.com and yeah if anyone has any questions about sales or newsletters or really pretty much anything <laughs> just send me an email um louis at salesforfounders.com is the best place for that awesome man well thanks for hopping on and i'll have all those things linked in the show notes and otherwise we'll see you next time yeah see you next time thanks for having me it's been great you got it